Let's pray. Father, as we come now to open your word, we ask that you would help us to understand by way of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the Lord who revives. You are also the Lord who kills. Lord, we ask this morning that we may see these truths. And we ask, oh God, that you would be revealed to us through the pages of Scripture. Lord, bless this day the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word for the sake of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please remain standing. Take your copies of God's word and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 8. Second Kings 8, we'll begin at verse 1 and read this morning to verse 15. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Now Elisha said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine. And it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Now at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman. And here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, Take a present with you, go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camels loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover, but the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses and you will kill their young men with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. 
And Hazael said, what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed, departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazael became king in his place. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning we finished up with 2 Kings 6 and all of chapter 7. And we saw how the Lord saved Samaria. We saw the need for deliverance. There was a great famine. It was leading families to boil their own children and eat them to try and survive. We saw the promise of deliverance given by the man of God, Elisha, to the king of Israel as the king of Israel came to kill Elisha. We saw very strange instruments of deliverance for leprous men and an unnamed servant of the king. And finally last week we saw the tragedy of deliverance. The one who came in the king's name and uh, to Elisha was told of God's promise, yet he did not believe. And God judged him and he was trampled to death. As the people of Samaria went out to gather the spoils of Syria. And so we come to our text this morning and we might ask several questions. Why should we care about a woman who immigrates from her homestead? Why should we care about a conversation between a prophet's servant and the king? Why should we care about another coup in a near eastern kingdom? And the simple answer is this, because they all reveal God to us. This is the business of, of Scripture. Scripture reveals to us who God is. When we come to the Word of God, we must always have our focus on the God of the Scriptures. And so our, our passage this morning reveals to us something about the God whom we worship. And it is this. It is God who revives. It is God who kills. It is God who revives life. It is God who brings death. Now we hear that, and we may like the first part, but we don't really like the second part. But we understand that God is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over life. He is sovereign over death. God is the one who gives life. He is the one who revives life. Now how can this be? Well, He's the creator of all men. He's the creator of everything that we see. And because of that, He is sovereign over all men. He is sovereign over over everything that we see. God is the one who gives life. Now there are many who do not believe that. There are many in our nation who do not believe that life is precious. We see that in the fact that for many years now, even though we've had a small victory in our government with abortion, but how many millions of babies have been sacrificed and murdered in the wombs of their mothers? 
And there are many today who still believe that that is a choice, not a life. But God is the giver of life. We see it encroaching more and more with the elderly today as we think of God giving life, but He also brings death. We, we see today many uh, in, in all nations, and it's creeping into our nation, that if you get old and get sick, then you too are going to be put to death by, by, by someone other than God. You're going to die by way of euthanasia if the government gets their way. Why? After all, you cannot contribute to society. Now that is the outworking of a pagan society in which we live. We live in a pagan society. We live in a society that says it's okay to murder a baby in the womb. This, uh, a, a few weeks ago, one of our uh, political officials, I'll leave her nameless because she doesn't deserve to be named, compared a fetus with a head of broccoli. Think of that. That is the paganism we're living under. There will be those in our nation who will say when you get too old and too sick that you shall die because you cannot no longer contribute to society. That is the society in which we live. But it is God who revives. It is God who gives life. And it is God who kills and takes life. And we see both of that, those things this morning. But we begin this morning in our text with, with a small kindness done for a woman. In our text, the woman is not named for us, but we know who she is. She is the Shunammite woman. In verses 1 and 2, we hear of that kindness. Elisha speaks to this woman whose son he had restored to life, and he, he gives her a warning. Go away from here, because it, there's going to come a famine upon the land for seven years. And so she follows the man of God's advice. Now, he doesn't tell her where to go, but we find that she, that she will go to the land of the Philistines. And she will sojourn in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And, and, and she will not have to experience the famine. Now, why does Elisha help her? Well, we learn in chapter 4 that this woman proposed that... She remodeled her house to her husband. Why? Because Elisha, the man of God, was passing through there. And she wanted to give the man of God a place to stay. She wanted to make accommodation for him. She wanted to make accommodation for him. Why? Because he was the Lord's servant. He was the holy man of God. He was the prophet that God was sending their way. And so when someone shows kindness to the people of God, especially to this man of God, God, God remembers that. He remembers this woman's kindness to his servant. And so he grants kindness to her. How? Well, he gives her a famine warning system. A famine is coming. It will be there for it will be among God's amongst God's people for seven years. And so this must have meant a lot to her because God was warning her, go somewhere else. Go and, and enjoy life these seven years of famine in Israel, assuring her that the keeper of Israel, Jehovah, had not forgotten her. Now these two verses, verses 1 and 2, they are not the main focus of our text, but again, it's an encouragement to this woman. 
And so she goes, she finds safety, she finds food in the land of the Philistines. And then second of all, we see how the Lord revives. Again, this woman is revived as she comes back, but we're also reminded of how the Lord revived her son by way of Elisha. Now the seven years have passed. The famine is over. And so this woman comes back from Felicia and she, and, and, and she noticed that someone had taken her homestead. Her land was, was gone. Either someone grabbed it themselves or, or the crown took it for himself. And so what does she do? She goes to the king. We find her going to make an appeal to the king uh, there. And in verse 4, we find something very strange. We find the king talking with Gehazi. Now, why is that strange? Well, do you remember back in, in, in 2 Kings 5, verse 27, Gehazi was stricken with what? With leprosy. And so what is Gehazi doing here with the king? He, he would have been excluded from general society with leprosy. But it's important that we understand here that the writer is not writing here in chronological order. Sometimes we think that everything we see uh, in a book of the Bible is in chronological order. That is not at all the case here. The episode with Naaman actually occurred after this episode that we have here in 2 Kings chapter 8. And so the king is apparently Jehoram. And so he is speaking with Gehazi. He says, tell me all the, the great things that Elisha has done. Now why would he want to know all the things that Elisha has done? Well, he knew about some of those things. There have been some very public miracles that Elisha performed. But there are other miracles that were not so public. And so this is one of those times where Gehazi is testifying of how Elisha restored to life the son of the Shunammite woman. Verse 5, while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the life of the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha has restored to life. He was beside, beside himself. Here she is. Here is her son that Elisha raised from the dead. And so the king is impressed. He's impressed by what he hears. And so he orders and appoints an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Now, the king here does what is right. He does what is right by way of the Shunammite woman. And he is quite impressed. With the testimony of God's power through Elisha. He is impressed, but he's not converted. He wants to hear all the stories. He wants to hear of all the miracles. He's, he's fascinated with the testimony, but he remains unchanged. We have a king who was curious about God. Curious about the God that he was serving as the king of Israel, but was not committed to him. 
The king was attracted to Elisha's work, but not submissive to Elisha's Lord. He was fascinated, but he did not have faith. And we probably all know people like that. They, they, they like to hear the stories of the Bible. They, they are fascinated with what even Jesus did. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a, a fascinating thing. But they have no faith. They've not been changed by the power of God. This king was like that. He was impressed, but he was not changed. And he had no true faith in the God whom Elisha served. Then there's a third thing we see this morning, and that is how the Lord kills in in the rest of our passage, verses 7 to 15. Now we find Elisha going to Damascus. There's all kinds of questions here. Why was he going to Damascus? What are we to make of the fact that Ben-Hadad and and Haziel sent a very gracious gift to Elisha? Forty camels loaded with gifts. But the big question comes to us from the interview. After Haziel had passed on Ben-Hadad's inquiry about whether he would recover from his illness. Look at at verse 10. Elisha said to him, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. Now the first part of Elisha's message there in verse 10 is usually read positively. Go tell him. You will certainly recover. But God has shown to me that he will surely die. Now, we read the text. We know what's going to happen in verse 15. The king is not going to recover. Ben-Hadad is not going to recover from that illness. Because why? Hazael is going to murder him. Now, there's another possibility that follows the traditional text in verse 10. And it translates something like this. Go say, you will certainly not recover. And God has shown me that he will surely die. Now, in this reading, as we come to verse 14, if we take that reading, then Hazael lies to his king, which doesn't surprise us. Hazael is being told by Elisha, you're going to be king. And so it would not surprise us if that is at all, if that too would happen. But the upshot of all this is simply this. He'll die and you'll be king, Hazel. Now this moment where Elisha is speaking with Hazael, it notes a turning point in the ministry of Elisha. Back in 1 Kings chapter 19, God says something to Elijah. God said to Elijah that he was to anoint three instruments of judgment to scourge unfaithful Israel. Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha, the prophet. Now Elijah anointed Elisha. Elijah was translated up into heaven, but we hear nothing of Elijah anointing Hazael or Jehu. And so the writer now tells us it is Elisha that does so. He is the one who followed Elijah. He's the man of God as Elijah was the man of God. And now he is setting apart Hazael as king of Syria and as an instrument of God's judgment. In chapters 2 through 7 of 2 Kings, we 
noted several times how Elisha was a minister of the grace of God. But now that changes. Beginning here in chapter 8 through chapter 10 of 2 Kings, Elisha now will appear as a minister of the judgment of God. Notice verse 11, Elisha fixed his gaze and stared at Hazael until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept, and Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set the, on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. The reason Elisha cried was he knew what was coming. He knew what this man was going to do to God's people. And he tells him, you're going to be king. Ahaziel did not understand what Elisha was saying. What is your servant who is but a dog that he should do great things? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. And so Hazel goes back to Ben-Hadad. And according to which reading you take, we'll just say here, Hazel probably lied to Ben-Hadad. And told him that, that Elisha said he would certainly recover, but didn't tell him the second part. And the next day he goes in, he takes a cloth, dips it in water, and he smothers Ben-Hadad to death. And he kills him. And he becomes king. But whose will was it that this happened? It was God's. It was God who said that Hazael would be king. It was God who decreed that Ben-Hadad would, would die in the very same way that he dies here, by way of the hands of Hazael, by way of murder. And he was doing this because of the unfaithfulness of his people. Because they were worshiping other gods. Instead of worshiping the one true God. Now what application can we make here this morning? Well first as we have seen the, the king of Israel was fascinated by the Lord's work through Elisha. But did not have faith in God. And so we can recognize something of the, the power and the pull of the gospel without truly embracing the gospel. There will be many this very Lord's Day who will hear the gospel. They, they will hear the proclamation of salvation in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And they may even be fascinated by that message, but they never embrace it. They never come to faith in Christ. In other words, there's a vast gulf between being charmed by the truth and being converted to the truth. It's not enough to be fascinated by the truth. It's not enough to be fascinated by Jesus. It's not enough to say, well, Jesus was truly a good man and a good prophet and a good teacher without saying that He is Lord and King and He is the sovereign Lord over all things. You see, we need faith. Saying good things about Jesus isn't enough. We must come to Christ in faith. 
Does that describe you this morning? Are you fascinated by the gospel, but you do not embrace the gospel? You are fascinated by Jesus, but you do not have faith in Jesus. Again, being fascinated is not enough. We must have saving faith. And what is the only object of that saving faith? It is Christ. There is no other object of saving faith. It is Jesus. And so that's the first thing. Do not be fascinated by Jesus and never come to Him in faith. You will will be lost forever. Second, in Elisha's attitude, and the fact that as he gazed upon Hazel and he knew what this man would do, that he wept. In, In that attitude and in that weeping, we see the attitude of our God and the attitude of Jesus. You remember Jesus saw Jerusalem and he was saddened. He was saddened by, by what he saw. He, he was their, their Lord, their Messiah coming. And, and he, he would have gathered them as God gathers his people. We know that God is just and righteous. And, and, and so will and must judge people who do not repent of their sins and put their faith and Jesus. At the same time, our God is slow to anger and full of mercy. And so in that, there is an element of divine sadness in His judgment. Elisha knew that there must be a Haziel as God's instrument to judge His faithless people. Elisha knew that Judgment is both necessary and sad. And so Elisha's tears, they were sent from God. They were sent by God to him. For that is how God views it. You think God will rejoice when he sentences one of the reprobate to hell? No, not at all. Do you think God rejoiced when He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone? No, God mingles tears with the fire and brimstone. Now what does that mean for us? Well, that should drive us to tell all that we know about the gospel and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we truly believe that there is going to be judgment, and there will be, there is a God who's created all things. There is a God who who, has, who controls all things. Again, we know that there is going to be a judgment because there is a God who has created us. You take God out of creation, you have nothing to worry about, do you? If we're created by chance, there's no God to answer to, but we're not. The Bible is clear. God has created all things. And because of that, we will answer to Him because we are His creatures. We are those whom He has created to give honor and glory to God, our Creator. But the problem is this. We do not do that, do we? Because of our sin. We give honor to the creature. Paul lays it out very clearly for us in Romans 1. The natural man, we forsake the worship of the Creator to worship animals and trees, the climate, 
That is, that is worshiping. This, this idea of climate change is a religion. Understand that. That's worship of a false god. And that's what the natural man does. He, he goes and he worships anything and everything else but God. Why? Because if there is no God to answer to, there is no judgment. But there is a God and there is a judgment. And if we are not found in Christ, then we are under that judgment. He said, without Christ, there is nothing but fire and brimstone that awaits us. And judgment is necessary. Why? Because of our sin. Now, that's the bad news. But the God who's ju- who is judged is also the God of grace and mercy. And grace is necessary because of His love. You see, before the foundation of the world, God chose His people. He loved them. And He chose us if we were in Christ. If you come to Christ this morning, it means that God chose you to come and know His Son. And you see it as the love that God has for His people For those whom He chose that He sent His Son to die for their sins. And we are reminded of that this morning as we come to the Lord's table. You know, I remind us often, I'll remind us again this morning, this is the only legitimate picture we have of Jesus. There is no other legitimate picture. The the bread and the wine, the bread, the body given for us, the wine, the blood of Christ spilt for us, spilt for sinners who would come to Him in faith. Why? Because without Him, we are under judgment. Without Jesus, we will die and we will face the judgment seat of Christ. But with Him, we will die. And we will face that same seat. It will not be of judgment because Jesus who died for us is also our advocate and our great high priest. And so do you know of that this morning? Do you know of that love that God had for His people so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on behalf of all who would come to Jesus in faith as they repent of their sins? Have you done that? If not, do so this very day. Do so knowing that it is the Lord who gives life and it is the Lord who takes life. And only in Jesus do we have life. And we'll have it eternally through Him. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And we thank You that we can be reminded of how it is You, O God, who revives and kills. It is You who gives life and takes it. No, God, we thank You that You give spiritual life through Jesus. And Lord, we, I pray for any who are here today that does not know of Christ, that does not know of that life, Lord, may they hear of that life that is found solely in Christ today. And God, give them a heart to come to Jesus in faith as they turn from their sins. And know of Your mercy and Your grace. No, God, as we come now to Your table, 
We see how judgment is necessary because of our sin. But we also see how grace is necessary because of your love. Oh God, bless this sacrament. Bless us as we come. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.